0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers made it way harder than it needed to be against an overmatched Jacksonville Jaguars team. So what does this mean for the team's long-term goals? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Muir, and happy to be with you here for another episode. And let's get the obvious out of the way right away. It is good that the Packers won. Yes, that is true. But even though I'm not sure if moral victories and losses are really a thing, this felt a lot like a moral loss. And again, the Packers did come out on top, 24-20. to They are 7-2. and But one simple question, who really got what they wanted in this game? Yes, the Packers did get a win, sure. But the Jaguars, or Jaguars fans at least, wanted a loss. Jaguars fans, even if that's not what the team itself may have wanted, got a competitive feisty team that gave a good effort against one of the supposed contenders in the NFC. At that contender's home stadium, in what was supposed to be that contender's favored weather, I don't know what else you'd want if you're hoping your team puts up a good fight but ultimately comes out short, comes up short. The Jaguars are looking to the future here. They don't care what happens in the present. Even if you are a player on that team and you want to go out there and give your best effort and so on and so forth, ultimately, the team, the organization itself, is building for the future at this point. So if they win or lose, they don't care so much as as giving that effort. And the, the Jaguars got every bit of effort they could have hoped for. But the Packers... Here we are now, for the second time in two home games, come out with more questions than answers. So I thought the best way to boil this down to what it really means is to talk about the playoffs. The Packers are hoping to make the playoffs, right? That's the goal. They're hoping to make a deep run in the playoffs. So what did a game like this say about their playoff outlook? I think there are four things that playoff teams need to do. Let's see how the Packers did in those four things. First, I think playoff teams execute in all conditions. And this is a big fat no for the Packers. Because two games at home now in a row, one loss and one near loss, the offense has played underwhelming. I think we can say that at the very least. And the main excuse was, well, I don't know, it's kind of windy out and it was. The weather was not great in Lambeau today. But I think it's pretty clear that the offensive microchip that is the Green Bay Packers does not function particularly well in non-ideal circumstances. They're basically a dome team at this point. And I don't know if I buy the in, the entire, you know, built around the run stuff like that given how often the Packers pass and how often they pass in neutral situations and so on and so forth. But at the very least you shouldn't be surprised by the weather when you live in Green Bay, Wisconsin, like the Packers do. And this is two games in a ho- or two home games in a row now that it's felt like they have been, which is concerning. Because the way things are going, they're going to end up playing at home at least once in the playoffs. Ideally, more. And if the Packers can't execute when it's cold and windy out, why would you want to play at home in the playoffs? Second, I think playoff teams take away what their opponent does well. We've talked about this almost ad nauseum at this point. But Mike Pettin's defenses seem incapable of taking away the one thing that their opponents do well. James Robinson, the Jaguars running back, is their one real good player on offense right now, especially on Sunday. D.J. Chark is up there, sure, sure, LaVisca Chenault, sure, but he didn't play. The guy making their offense go has been James Robinson. and Robinson had 109 yards on 23 carries and probably would have had closer to 150 if not for two holding penalties, wiping out touchdown runs. Surprised by the obvious yet again. Third, I think playoff teams get good performances from their best players. I don't think that was really the case today. Devante Adams, 66 yards on 12 targets, did have that nice touchdown that sh- that's can't be denied. But he had two bad drops, at least, both of which would have cost the, cost the Packers first downs. He also had the bad fumble, all this a week after calling himself the best wide receiver in the league. Sort that one out for yourself. Aaron Jones, meanwhile, had 95 yards and 18 touch t- touches. That's a pretty okay stat line, but pretty okay is not exactly what you're hoping for from Aaron Jones, I don't think. He needs to be better than pretty okay. He needs to be better than three and a half yards per carry. And some of that is a usage thing, how the Packers were using him. But that, again, is a big question. Why were the Packers using him that way? And so let's throw Matt LaFleur in there. The way that he has game planned so far this season, has generally been pretty good. There's a few games where it really hasn't. And it feels like this was one of those games where he really didn't seem to have a clear plan. The plan was Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones up the middle against what seemed to be a pretty stout Jaguars run defense. And I know if you looked at the stats coming into the game, a lot of the raw numbers tell you that Jacksonville should be pretty permissive in the run game, but it wasn't working, so why'd the Packers keep doing it? Finally, playoff teams don't beat themselves. Beating yourself means throwing a bad pick on a crossing route. Beating yourself means giving up a punt return touchdown because you didn't account for how the wind would affect your kick once it got up in the air. That could have been the difference in the game. Even if the the Packers' defense did do a pretty good job of limiting the Jaguars overall, if you take that punt return out of there, it's 13 points. That's not too bad. You can live with that. In fact, you're very near a cover there for the spread in this game. 13 and a half coming in. But they didn't. They did allow that punt return touchdown. And it was close. The Jaguars were driving with a chance to win late in the game. And it was really only entirely because of what the Packers did. They were the ones that kept running the ball when it wasn't going anywhere. They were the ones that kept running weird kind of comeback routes eight yards off the ball instead of the the crossers and the intermediate dig routes that have worked so well. They were the ones that fumbled the ball. Not the Jaguars, it was the Packers. And if the Jaguars were a better team, they would have beaten the Packers today. So what does this mean? I think the Packers have some soul-searching to do. In the playoffs, you're not going to be able to hope for other teams to kind of take themselves apart like the Jaguars ultimately did. And that last drive was an example of what a rookie quarterback looks like in a tight spot. I joked with someone I was texting during the game that Jake Luton didn't even have the courtesy on that last play to make a desperation heave so that some random guy could get an interception on the Packers and we can look back two years from now and say, oh yeah, Henry Black, I remember him. But the truth is he didn't give his chance to, a team a chance to win really at all what does he do on that last play? He throws a little out route to James Robinson, who has really nothing to do but tiptoe his way out of bounds well short of the first down. Got to get the ball up in the air there. And the Packers aren't going to be, be able to count on teams doing that to themselves in the playoffs. Imagine a situation where the Packers are at home again in the divisional round and the Seattle Seahawks are in Lambeau Field. Unless just, for the sake of argument, say that the score was the exact same situation there. 24 to 20. Do You think Russell Wilson ends the game by throwing a little out route to his running back? I don't think so. The Packers aren't going to be able to count on that kind of a performance. They can also count on other teams knowing that things don't matter like the Jaguars did. Jaguars came in knowing they had nothing to lose even a win, is a kind of moral victory. Yeah, sure, you take yourself a little bit out of the running for the very top draft spot, but hey, you got to win against the Packers, you weren't supposed to get that. When the Packers play good teams in the playoffs, that's not going to be the case. It's win or go home. And the Packers, if they play like this, are going to go home pretty quickly. Packers have to figure out a way to not come out flat at home. And I don't know what the solution is there because we're not inside the building, but it seems like it's a recurring problem for Matt Lafleur's teams. In all of the losses you can, you can think of in the Lafleur era, other than the Eagles won early last year, it's been a result of coming out really sluggish. Chargers game, both 49ers games, the Vikings game earlier this year, Packers just looked like they were asleep. It looked like they had a short night, didn't get a cup of coffee in the morning, had to come into the office anyway. Packers have to figure out a way to avoid that. Why do they have to take a quarter and a half to feel like they realized the game started? It's just irritating to watch. So up next then, the Packers get the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are 6-3 and three after stomping. The Tennessee Titans, 34-17. to 17. And I think you should be pretty nervous about this one if you are the Packers. Colts seem like they are custom-built to beat the Packers. They actually look a lot like the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Powerful team. Strong defensive line and fast linebackers. They could stomp all over the Packers next week, and it wouldn't be a big surprise. If the Packers don't come out with their chin straps buckled, for the first time in what seems like a while, the Packers could be on their way to 7-3. and three. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jaguars are favorites at home. Not just because they are, you know, you typically get a home, home bump. But they should be favored. If the Colts play like the Colts are capable of playing, they probably should beat the Packers on Sunday, especially if the Packers play this way. Rather than a laundry list of little stuff, I wanted to talk about one big thing to close this podcast out, and we got some interesting news during the game itself concerning one of the Packers' best players. David Bakhtiari, according to Pro Football Talk and now confirmed by others, has signed a contract extension worth somewhere north of $100 million. And I just say it that way because it's not really clear what the final numbers are. In fact, I think the first number was $105.5 million. Now reading some other stuff later on, it's saying like more like $93 million in new money because they're counting in the value of his current, current um, contract in there. It doesn't ultimately matter because the final numbers are really going to tell the story on this. Of the Packers' contracts expiring, in a quick rundown, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Aaron Jones, Kevin King, and others, this one was the most concerning. Because while Aaron Jones might be the most exciting, Corey Lindsley the most steady, Kevin King the tallest, though he's not, David Bakhtiari is taller. I just had to think of something off the top of my head to describe Kevin King. Bakhtiari seems like the most difficult to replace. However, it does seem like a lot of money for a guy who just turned 29 and has a non-zero number of back injuries over the past two seasons. There's also the point that the Packers did replace him this year when they had to. Billy Turner did pretty okay in relief of David Bakhtiari. Rick Wagner held things down on the right side in the meantime. Elton Jenkins can also play left tackle. If Bakhtiari plays out this entire extension, he's going to be 34 by the time it plays out. And given the technician that he is, I don't doubt that he could play that long. Chad Clifton made it to a Pro Bowl at age 34. But it also seems like you are buying high, at the highest possible time. However, it seems like there is another situation at work here. If the Packers are willing to do this extension now and give a record-setting deal to David Bakhtiari amidst some significant cap uncertainty next year, it makes me wonder if the cap isn't quite so uncertain as we've been led to believe. It does seem likely that the cap is going to either contract or stay flat next spring, but what if it doesn't contract as much as we've been told? The number that floats out there all the time is $175 million. And that's that's possible. But as I understand it, that's also basically the worst-case situation. Worst-case scenario. There's a pretty good chance that the cap doesn't go all the way down to $175 million. And if it doesn't, the Packers will have significantly more flexibility. So a big deal coming at this point... Um, makes me wonder if the Packers know something we don't. Also looking at the numbers, this is a a big looking contract just on its face. $105.5 million is a lot. But as you start breaking it down year by year, it becomes fairly palatable. His cap number isn't going wild and crazy. And again, we do have to see the final numbers, but it seems like the Packers will be in pretty good shape here. And the final thing to remember is that these contract extensions often are reported as four-year extensions or five-year extensions or whatever, but in reality, they might be more like two-year extensions. So I think what is really going to happen here is David Bacteria will finish out this season. The Packers will have him under contract for ages 30 and 31, and then the Packers will probably... Make a decision at that point. And I feel a lot better about that than thinking about David Bakhtiari in his age 34 season, as opposed to David Bakhtiari in age 30 and 31. Ultimately, keeping your good players around is a good idea. And I feel pretty confident that David Bakhtiari is going to be a a pretty good player for at least the immediate future, and that's really what matters here if the Packers are trying to maximize their window with Aaron Rodgers. Keeping your best offensive lineman around is never a bad idea. Of course, that'll remain to be seen, and maybe we're sitting here two years from now and David Bakhtiari is looking more like a guy who should have moved on, and we could say, wow, that was a really stupid thing to do, but at least at the time, it seems like a pretty good idea. And I think if I'm David Bakhtiari, I feel pretty good about this. Fourth-round pick to a $105 million contract, not too bad. And if I'm Brian Gutekunst, I sleep pretty good at night, thinking that I at least rolled the dice on a guy who has been a really good player for quite a while and figures to be a good one for at least another couple of years. That's all I've got for you on this episode. I'm very interested to hear what you think about this game. Is this Is this another kind of just burn-the-tape sort of game? Is this another game where you say, well, the weather, sure. Or do you think there are some real underlying concerns here? Let us know wherever you find the show, social media, Facebook, email, YouTube, whatever. I want to hear your thoughts. And uh, as we head into Colts Week, I'd be interested to explore them with you. At the very least, go ahead and share this podcast with somebody you think might benefit from hearing it. It's going to help us continue to grow this conversation we're having around the Packers and ultimately help everybody become a smarter Packers fan because that's really the bottom line, isn't it? Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.